I've been stirred this week um, thinking about the world in which we live, watching what's happening around the world from chaos to wars to flooding. And when you meet with people and you listen to the challenges that some people face and the challenges that I face, little challenges, and then the big challenges, it causes me to go to God sometimes, and I think it's good to have a measure, all of us, to be able to deal with the smallest little thing because God does and the biggest problem because God does. And having that capacity and the measure and the bandwidth to be able to cope with and have an answer for both is really important. So church, I, I want to, um, I want to, I'm, I'm actually got the privilege of speaking for the next two weeks. So I'm going to try, I'm going to take my time. I have a tendency to rush because I like to go fast and pack a load of things in. But I'm going to try and slow down for the next couple of weeks today. Uh, not that I'll go on a long time today. Um, but to, but to, <laughs> thank you, Mike. But to, but to really put some word to help equip us to, to really navigate the season that we're in. Because some of us may be in a great season. You may be in a season of great prosperity. Maybe you're in a season of great health. Maybe you're, it's a relational thing. Maybe it's a vocational thing, your job. Uh, but, or a spiritual thing. You're just spiritually, you're just doing so well. And perhaps you're in a season where relationally you're not, or financially, or physically, or vocationally, things are just not going well. And maybe you're carrying a turmoil. And my prayer today is that wherever you are, you'll find yourself in these points. And you'll find yourself in this journey. Hebrews chapter 12. You can, if I, Let's turn there really quick as far as a, a starting point. Hebrews chapter 12 says, therefore. Everyone say, therefore. Whenever the Bible says, therefore, it's to get us to think about what it's there for. And Hebrews chapter 12 starts with therefore because it's all text has a context and the context of this text is Hebrews chapter 11. Right? Because it comes before. Just, okay, seeing if you're awake. So, and Hebrews chapter 11 is all about the heroes of the faith, is it not? Anyone ever read Hebrews chapter 11? I'm turning there. I'm trying to get there as fast as you are to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is being absolutely certain of what we hope for and the evidence of things not yet seen. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed by a word of God's command so that what is seen was made, not made out of the invisible. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about the great heroes of the faith and what they did. And I'm gonna, I don't have time to read all of these, but it's provoking when you read this list. All of these were commended in verse 39 for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised, for God had planned something better for them. Only together with us would they be made Perfect. In verse 32, the writer of Hebrews says, and what is more, I don't even have time. I don't have time this morning, but the writer of Hebrews didn't have time to tell you. But he just goes through a really quick list. He says, I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and the prophets, all who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed 
foreign armies. Some were stoned, some were sawn in two. Wow. They went around, many of them in in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered the desert and the mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Everybody say faith. I want to jump into these next couple of weeks on the life of David, and I want to just get a glimpse of some of the resistance and some of the, the survival things that we found that we can find in David's life, but also those things that, also that, that helped him survive also ultimately made him thrive. And I was driving here this morning and thinking, I want to talk about the mighty, not just the mighty men, because there's mighty women in the Bible. Come on. And I want to suggest to you ladies, you're talking about mankind here, not just gender-specific male, but mankind. But I wonder today in the world, where are the mighty? Where are the mighty men and women? Where are the fighters? Where are those that will stand? Where are those who will stand for the truth right now? To stand up in the faith. See, if all creation, Romans says, is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, there's a groaning right now. There's a groaning in creation. There's a groaning across the earth. Wars and rumors of wars. But where's the church? Where's the ecclesia? And Isaiah says, awake, awake, O Zion. Come clothe your strength, self with strength. Come clothe yourself with strength. And there's times I feel strong. And there's times I feel, gosh, are we ever going to win? And then I read the end of the book and I think, we do win. <laughs> That's good. We do win. I, so I know we win. And then I read, but God's given us the land and then there's giants in the land. So God gives it to us and then he says, you now you need to take it. But I thought you gave it to us. Yeah, I did give it to you, but now you need to take it. And I read about this man, David, with all of his, his shortcomings and all of his challenges and all of his trials. And I think there must be something. And I began to glean different steps in David's life. And I want to lay them out today, and then I want to, next week, talk about uh, the power of some of his spiritual journey. Is that my phone? Uh, but I want to talk about the power, of, um, the, the power of thanksgiving. I want to talk about the power of remembering. I want to talk about the power from the, from the Word of God. What is it that we can glean from these principles? But today, if you can jump with me straight into 1 Samuel. I'm sorry I don't have these up on a screen, these seven steps. Everyone say seven steps. These seven steps. But I, I trust that you will find yourself in one of, at least one of these steps. I'm going to go quite quick. But I'm going to say again, I believe today, wherever you are on your journey, whether you feel today, I don't think I could even get any higher, or I don't think I could get any lower, you will find yourselves on one of these steps, and so did David. Are you ready? So, here they are. Now, let me just set a scene here for um, David. David is a young boy. David has a bunch of brothers. And David's father is called Jesse. Everyone say Jesse. So Jesse has got these boys. And a man named Samuel, who is a prophet, is coming into town. And he's coming to recognize one of Jesse's boys. You follow? 
And so Jesse is excited, so he pulls his boys together and he says, come quickly, the man of God is coming, so I want you to all stand in a line and he's going to come with a big horn of oil and he's going to pour it over one of you. So look your best. Look like a warrior. Look strong. Be, bring, bring your best because he's coming. And I don't know which one of you he's going to choose, but he's going to choose one of you. And so here the boys line up. And Samuel the prophet comes. And he looks at the first one, Eliab, the oldest boy of Jesse's sons. And he's strong and, he, and he's powerful. And, he's, and he looks like a warrior and he's muscly. And he says, nope, it's not you. And then he looks at the next one, no, it's not you. And he goes through all of the boys and he says, I don't think it's any of these. Surely you must have another son to Samuel. To which Samuel says, well, not really, except for Dave. David isn't here, but David's just a shepherd boy. David likes to play musical instruments and write songs. He's not really a warrior. He's not a head and shoulders guy. He's more of a heart guy. He's kind of more of a, maybe a mummy's boy. And so here we are. Okay, I want to just nail the first step right here. The first step is the step of rejection. Will you say that with me? Rejection. Hands up if you've ever felt rejection. You felt it at work. You felt it in your family. You felt it from a church. You felt it from a leader. You felt some kind of rejection. Maybe you're feeling it now. You're feeling it from a family member. You're feeling it from a child. You're feeling it from a parent. Maybe you're feeling it from God himself. Well, I want to tell you this morning that David found himself on this step this journey of life, and he finds himself in rejection. How do I know that? Because David wasn't invited to the party. David was out looking after sheep, and he knows that his dad called a meeting where the man of God was going to come and anoint and pour oil over one of them, saying, this is God's anointed who would become king of Israel. But he's not invited. Ever been to a place where you've seen on Facebook and think, why didn't I get invited? Can I suggest to you, freeze frame that feeling and recognize it's a step towards greatness. And recognize it's a step that could it be that this is part of the fashioning of God in your life to make you a warrior? And so David's here. In the he's out looking after the sheep. And his, son, and his dad goes, well, there's David, but just, I mean, he's just a shepherd boy. And the man of God says this to Samuel. The man of God says, go and get this shepherd boy. Go and get this young David and bring him here. And by the way, I'm not even going to sit down until he gets here. That's pretty powerful. So David rocks up and he's like, what's going on? Can you imagine? He's just, you know, he's this rugged, redheaded kid who just comes in and he's just there like, hey, what's going on? This is cool. What are you, hey, bro, what are you doing here? What's going on? Oh, there's a man of God here with a horn of oil to anoint one. And suddenly he says, you're the one and pours the oil over David's head. And from that day on, the anointing of God came upon David. That's a pretty important step, don't you think? Let's just, just so you can see, the, the context here is all you'll find all of this in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and, the, and chapter 17. Okay? 
And so here's the scripture, if you're writing notes. Verse 11, and he asked Jesse, are, all the, are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse says, no, there's still the youngest. Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Saul says, send for him. I will not sit down until he gets here. So they summon for this rugged boy who was handsome and fine in his appearance. Then the Lord said, rise up and anoint this one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David with power. So the first step is rejection. Maybe you feel that. I want to encourage you today, just because you feel rejected, that this is a journey towards greatness. And it's a step that's imperative to become mighty. Number two, the second step was the step of isolation. So number one is what? Rejection. I know we have to pretend we don't have PowerPoint and technology because uh, I wasn't being fair to the guys today to ask them so early in the morning, especially as it's my son who tells me I have to have things in by Thursday. And if they're not, even though it's you, Dad, I'm not going to do it. Because you have to learn to listen to the Spirit of God early on in the week. You can't say, well, it was the anointing and the Spirit came upon me in the night. I just, no, we have stuff we have to do. So you have to have listened to the Spirit of God on Thursday. So I obviously failed to do that. Sorry, Jonah. So here we are, and now I am without steps on the screen. So you have to remember the steps. So the first one is what? Which is the second one is what? Isolation. So after this rejection... After knowing I wasn't even invited to the party, and I want to suggest to you that the reason he was not invited to the party is because David was a love child. I personally believe, and I can't prove this 100%, but why didn't his dad invite him to the party? The psalmist says this, David writes, in sin I was conceived, and in iniquity my mother bore me. I've I think that's some evidence to suggest that perhaps David grew up with a sense of, I wasn't like the rest of everybody else. And if that's you this morning, there's hope for you because that's the one that God likes to anoint. They're the ones that God is attracted to. The ones that no one else wants. It's interesting, the feeding of the 5,000. The 5,000 was men. It was actually 15,000 with men and women. And it was the little boy that wasn't even counted that got the miracle. Anyway, so number two, isolation. Isolation. So he's here. Okay, let's look at this. Number two, isolation. Then Saul, a messenger, said, okay, we're jumping through here, but here's the point. So after... After Samuel had anointed David in the presence of his angels, in the presence of his brothers, David then goes back to looking after sheep. And how do we know this? Because right here in verse 19, then Saul sent a messenger, a messenger, a mess, sent messengers to Jesse and said, please will you send me your son, David, who is out with, with you, out keeping sheep. 
So Jesse took a donkey and loaded it with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent him with his son, his son David to Saul. Okay, so after, so now he's in a place of isolation. Have you ever had a promise from God? Have you ever felt like the anointing of God? Ever had a prophetic word? Ever been in a meeting and suddenly it's like, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and it's so clearly God. And you have this encounter, and then the next day, you feel like, not only was I in rejection, but now this was my suddenly my moment, but now I'm back in isolation. How did I end up back here? Why am I looking after the sheep again, wet with all my brothers? What's up with my dad? Why wouldn't he? Why? why? He saw. He, I, the Spirit of God is upon me. But God does his greatest work. I'm going to talk about this next week, but sometimes God closes the eyes and he closes the ears of those closest to us to cause us to go to the only person that can really help us, and that's him. And so often it's like there's something that God is trying to bring us to himself when we feel isolated, we feel rejected. It's just me. And God says, that's, this is where I will do my finest work because I want to make you mighty. Because I want to do something and fashion something in you. You know, no one saw David kill the lion and the bear. But later we'll see two nations watch him kill Goliath. What happens in isolation is where God does his training. How, we are, how are you when no one else is watching? You can read. I read it early this morning. Ha, I was trying to imagine it. When, when Saul eventually, as we'll see in a minute, starts to ask David about his life. And he says, well, I killed a bear. And a lion with my own hands. I saw a lion take one of my sheep. So I took it out of the lion's mouth. I ripped back his hair. And I killed him with my own hands. I'm like, this guy must have some serious arms. Think about that. For Have you ever seen a lion? A lion tear apart uh, uh, an ox? Or bring down a giraffe? I mean, they're pretty powerful. But David was a man, and he ripped his head off. He was strong. This, this is pretty mighty stuff. Next week, we're going to talk about the mighty, the mighty men, what they did. Like Benaniah, who killed a lion on a snowy day in a pit. That's just cool. Hey! There's a lion down there in the pit, and it's snowing, so it's really slippery. I'm going to go down into the pit, in the snow, and I'm going to kill the lion. Why? Because I'm mighty. Why? Because I'm a mighty man. Why? Because I just, I want to do something. Now, today, the weapons that we fight with are not carnal. On the contrary, they're spiritual, and they have divine power, Paul says, to demolish strongholds. So the war that we face is very different. It's a very spiritual war. But let's get really good at fighting it. Let's get really good at fighting spiritual battles. Let's say, let's, let's take our ground and say, we're not having this in here. We're not having darkness. We're not having fear. No, we won't have it. We're not having sickness here. We're pushing it back from here. But some of those things, what I want to suggest to us, happen in isolation. The training happens in rejection. The training happens in isolation. 
Oh, God will always approve us in private before he promotes us in public. I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to stay on that point. Number three is limitation. Everybody say that with me. Limitation. I'm going to pick up the pace just a little bit. Limitation. So number one is what? Rejection. Number two is what? Number three is what? Limitation. Here's why. Limitation. Limitation. So number three. So Saul, as we just read in verse 17, asked Jesse, could you please send me your, your son David, I, he was, and what was actually going on is he wanted him to play the harp because an evil spirit had entered him, right? So he sent for David for that reason. David was a harpist. And so this is, this is what happens. Early in the morning, verse 20 of chapter 17, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed the reason I think limitation is really important is David is still under the direction, under the directorship of his father. He's already gone through this rejection. Then he has gone through this, this feeling of isolation. But now he's in limitation. Imagine this, okay? So now, hey, 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 the, the king, king Saul has asked you for you to play your harp. So you can come out from looking after the sheep for a bit. Thanks, Dad. Um, I'd like you to go and go and go and figure out what's going on and just go there. See your boys. In fact, I'd like you to take some cheese and crackers to your boys. Take some pizza. They're probably hungry. This is actually what happened. Read it. Read the whole story. We'll be here all morning if I read it all. But it, but it says, could you take crackers to your brothers? So his limitation. Really? All I'm allowed to do is this? You want me to do crackers? You want me to watch children? You want me to put out chairs? <laughs> you want me to do what now? Be on the sound team? You want me to evangelize? You want me to go where now? To what country now? You want me to what? Do you know who I am? I'm anointed. But he's in a step of limitation. He's in a step. And now he's got to take to his brothers, the same brothers that, by the way, were there when he was anointed with oil. And they saw the spirit of the living God come upon him. If you haven't seen that, it's like, God, do something. Why? You know, God. It was you that said it. I'm anointed. Why am I here? Why am I in limitation? Why am I taking cheese and crackers? Why? I don't want to take cheese and crackers. I shouldn't be delivering pizza at this stage of my life. But off. But he goes. This is his attitude. Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up a donkey, and set out as Jesse had demanded, directed. In other words, there's still in this man, there's still a heart of tenderness that I'm going to, I'm still submit, I'm still ready to submit. It's okay. I'm not too good. Even though I know the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Ha! I can do it. And he submitted to his father. So there's limitation. Number four. It's getting good now. We're good. There's only seven steps. So we're going. We're moving fast. Everybody happy? Okay. We're going, to fit. we're going to do this again next week. And it's going to get even better. Ready? Okay. Here we go. Number five. Four. Okay. Number four. Number four. Number four is accusation. Accusation. Ooh. Write down that. Accusation. So number one is rejection. Number two. 
is isolation. Number three is limitation. And number four is accusation. Accusation, accusation, accusation. Have, hands up if you've ever been, you just, you've just been accused of something. It's like, that just is not true. It's just not true. This is going to encourage you because there's a really practical outworking right here of what you do when you feel accused. First of all, be very careful with your words. Don't accuse. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. Words have power. They have life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Careful what you say. But here's there's something hidden here that we can see about how to deal with accusation. Accusation, here we go. I love this. Right, Verse 28. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked him, why have you come down here? Now remember, this is the oldest, his older brother. The one that was there that probably felt like I should have got anointed. But David did. Obviously, there's a mistake. Clerical error. I'll give him a pass because at least he went back to looking after sheep and playing his harp. He's clearly not really one of us. He has red hair. (laughs) Sorry, boys. So, why have you come down here? And watch this. Have you ever heard this from an older brother or an older sister or somebody who's just got issues? Ready? Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep? Like, it's really condescending, right? Like, why have you come down here? And what, what do you do with those few sheep? You're not even like a good shepherd. You're just like, I know you're a shepherd and stuff, but there's only a few sheep, dad's sheep. In the desert, and watch this, here comes the accusation, full on. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is, and you just came down here only to watch the battle. Boom, what? What? Eliab, I know how wicked you are and how deceitful you are. You've only come down here to watch the battle. This is in the Bible. Can you relate to this, anyone? Like, hello, yeah, accusation. But, but, but it's great because the Bible tells us what to do. This is David's man after her own heart, so you can do this. Ready? David, first response, typical young brother. Now what have I done? Exactly what it says in the NIV. Now what have I done? Now, I love, I love preacher's license, okay? There's a preacher's license here because... Different translations say things differently. And so sometimes I'll go through different translations till it says what I want it to say, because it just preaches better. Right? So if you're reading one translation, it says it doesn't say that in mine, but it does it in my it does in mine. I mean it's not here, but it is in my resources, right? So you but I'll, but in the King James version it says this, or New King James, and you can look it up right now. David says this. Is there not a cause? Wow. Wait, what? Is there not a cause? In the NIV, it says, can I even speak? Typical young brother again. Now what have I done? Can I even speak? And then are you ready? Here's here's the right hook of this whole message. If you feel like you're you're being accused, David says this. Then he turned away and talked to somebody else. 
David basically went, talk to the hand. I'm not listening to you, Eliab. You were just jealous because you wanted to be anointed, but I was, and here I am. And it says in the NIV, and David turned to someone else and he asked that he took up the same question with them. And he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was, oh, I, watch this. Watch the cleverness of God. Ready, watch this. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. <laughs> Hello. What David said was overheard and was reported to the king, and the king sent for him. What did he say? He said, is there not a cause? In other words, Eliab, it's not just talk to the hand, bro. You're just jealous. It's like, hey, Eliab, shh. There's something a lot bigger going on than you and this bickering between you and me. There's a man out there who's challenging the armies of the living God. And I don't know what you're doing. And yeah, I've just been out there in rejection and isolation. But I'm here right now because my dad asked me to bring you pizza. And now I'm here. There's a man over there who's jeering and shouting and he's defying the armies of the living God. And I don't know what you're doing, but it's certainly not between you and me. And I'm not going to stand here and talk about bickering and this because there's something a lot more powerful going on. So be quiet. Sir, could you please tell me what that man, Goliath, is doing yelling at the armies of the living God? And somebody needs to take him out. I'd like to know what the person who takes him out will get. And that's why Saul called for him. He said, bring that young man to me. And here's the answer. If you kill this Goliath, you get to marry my daughter, you never pay taxes, and you can live in my palace. David's like, sweet. Church, I'm wanting to provoke us that we can't stay on the steps. We've got to keep moving forward. But I've been so isolated and mistreated. So what? You have an audience of one. Okay, we're going to keep going. Steps. Accusation. Accusation. Manipulation is the next step. Are you ready? Ever been manipulated? The step of manipulation? Watch this, ready? Uh. Oh, there's so much here. Right. Verse 38. There's a lovely line in here in one of the translations. Saul, when David gets to him, he says this. Saul goes, so David, I've been hearing this stuff about you. What do you do? You know what David says? He says, I used to keep sheep. <laughs> David, you were keeping sheep that day. It says early in the morning, David left. It's like, oh, I quit smoking. Oh, man, how long has it been? This morning. David, what did you used to do? What do you do? I, I, I used to keep sheep, but I, 
but I'm kind of my, more of a warrior. Wow. Like, tell me about how you've done this. Well, while I was being rejected and isolated, and while I was being limited, I was learning in private. And I was being schooled by my God for this moment. So I used to keep sheep, but now I'm a giant killer. And here comes, here comes, here comes the manipulation. See, Saul had had an evil spirit enter him, even though he didn't know it. Terrible place to be when you're moving in the demonic, but you don't even know it. And, and this is what he said. Verse 38, well, verse 37. And Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. Then he dressed David in his own tunic. Everyone see his own. And he put on his coat of armor and his bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to it. I cannot go in these, David says, because I am not used to it. I'm just saying it like a robot because that's the point I want you to understand and highlight. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot go in these, he said, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in a pouch in the shepherd's bag and in his sling in his hand. And off he went. The reason this is manipulation is I want to suggest to you that the reason that Saul wanted him to use his armor and his sword is so that he would get the glory. Discipleship is not about making clones. Discipleship is making someone like you to conform to you, to how you think, to how you act. I love David because his heart was like, sure, I'll try it on. Sir, if it be okay, I don't really used to this armor that's like this. Like, I can hardly even lift up this sword. I'm not used to it. It's not really me. Would it be okay if I just be me? Would it be okay if I just do use what comes naturally to me? Would it be okay if, if I use the weapons that God has been training me in private in rejection and isolation for these last few years? See, I'm really good with this sling, that's all I really have, and some five stones which I can find in any stream. If it's okay with you, I'd just like to do to do me. I like to be me. So I don't see there's a wonderful way of dealing with manipulators. Just lovingly say, hey, would it be okay if I just did it my way? Rather than like, you're not gonna manipulate me. I mean his head would have probably come off if he did that. Can you see? So Saul wants him to have a shiny sword and a shiny suit. But all David want, wanted was his, was his sling and his stone. So, here he is. Manipulation. I used to keep sheep. But today everything's changed. See, God can change 
our life around just like that. But we have to realize that we're able, that this thing that you think maybe is just the devil, whether it's the devil or not, or it's you or it's whatever. I am here and I'm just here. But I'll tell you one thing you can't take away from me is the spirit of the living God that is upon me. And see, when Isaiah says, when Jesus says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He is speaking to us because Jesus is the head, but we are the body. So now we can say with confidence, the spirit of the living God is upon me because he's anointed me to something. We're anointed, church. It's like, well, I'm not like David. Yes, you are. You're part of the body of Christ, of which he's the head, and there is an anointing upon you. Amen? Okay, here you go. Ready? Manipulation, manipulation, manipulation. Number six. I wake you up. Okay, number six. Number six is the step of intimidation. Hands up if you ever felt intimidated. You just feel intimidated. You know someone wants you to feel intimidated. They want you to back down. They want you to know that they are flexing their muscles, spiritual, physical, emotional. They know maybe they've got you emotionally because they're stronger than you in a certain way and they want to intimidate you. And here is David and he's on this step of intimidation. And let's read it together. I love this. Meanwhile, verse 41, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Meanwhile, the Philistines and his shields bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. And he looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, rugged and handsome. And he despised him. And And he said to David, are you ready? Here's the intimidation. Am I a dog? Am I a dog that you would come down here with your stick? The Philistines cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spears and javelins, but I come against you in the name of the almighty God, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defiled. And this day I will take off your head and you and I will strike you down and then I'll cut off your head. That's how we deal with intimidation. If we know who we are and if we've gone through the fashioning and the shaping of God through rejection and intimidation and manipulation and isolation, it's like God has been fashioning something and working something in me and I was born for this moment. And church, I want to suggest we were born for this moment in history. We were born for this moment. We can hasten the day of his return. The Bible says we can. We can hurry it along. But all creation is waiting. And I know these are kind of grandiose big words. But next week I want to to ground this out a little bit. I want to talk about what does that actually mean? How do we actually do that in this day and age? Do we just go and get a sword and start cutting people's heads off? Do we start saying, come on then, we'll take you. No, no, but but what does that mean? How do we fight now? What does that mean today and tomorrow? How does that mean for me emotionally? What does that mean? How do I deal with this rejection today and tomorrow? And so we're going to ground this out. We're going to really, really going to go into this. But here we are, this table of intimidation. Am I a dog? 
that you would come down here. I felt it over this pandemic. Who do you think you are, the church? Standing up against coronavirus. I'm like, wait, you want us to back down? How dare you? Right. Number seven. Number seven. Number seven. Number seven. Whoo, fighting spirit. Right. Validation. Here's the moment of validation. Here's the last point. Validation. Validation. Will you say that with me? Validation. 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 So we have the step of rejection, the step of isolation, limitation, accusation, manipulation, intimidation. But after the intimidation comes this moment of validation. After the enemy says, you come at me like a dog? You come at me with your stick? You come at me with your Bible? Hello? The word of God is null and void. The word of God is just a piece of history. The word of God was written by man. Ah, no, it's not. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If the enemy can lose, can win this battle, he's taken our sword. And if you read the armor of God, the only defense is the sword. Yes, we have the mind of Christ, the helm of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the belt of truth. Yes, we have the feet, the feet of peace, shoes of peace, but we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the Word of God, which is the... So when I hear people, oh, the Bible is just being discredited, I'm like, no, it's not. This is all we've got. This is the sword. And that's why it's got to be a dull sword coming out of our mouth that we speak with the Word. We've got to know the Word. That's why we're doing this training from the refinery to the foundry to the armory so that we raise a generation that, not are, that are not biblically illiterate. We can't raise a generation that is just loves to have an encounter with God but also knows the Word, which is the weapon of our warfare, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the Word of God. So when the, when the pressures come, we speak the Word of God. Too much? Okay. So, church, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? There's got to be something in the church right now that like David, who was a man after God's own heart, that will say, how dare you? I'm not moving. Even if it costs me my life. I'm not moving. I will stand my ground. Oh, I don't have time to go there, but I wish I could. But next week I want to talk about what happened on the ground. There was a place called Pastamen. The place where we just read where David killed Goliath. And something even after David died happened on that ground by someone who remembered what happened. And he stood his ground. He said, I saw a giant slain right here. And for that reason, I'm not giving any ground. 
We're going to talk about that next week. Will you stand with me? Just close your eyes for a moment. Horabashanda. Mm. Yeah, you can preak in tongues if you want, church. I'd just rather, I'd rather let this stir in our hearts right now. I'd rather let the Holy Spirit, like we're gonna, I'm going to speak again more tonight in the second service on something a little bit different. But I just, but church, I, I want to, I feel there's a, not out of anger. I'm not upset. I'm mad at the enemy. I'm not upset with the church, but I feel provoked. Come on, church. This is our hour. I don't talk about just getting, just being political. I'm just talking. I'm talking about rising up on the inside by absolutes. If we stand for nothing, we'll stand for everything. Hello. If we'll stand for nothing, we'll stand for everything. Oh yeah, that sounds good. What? That's not good. Have you thought about that? Oh yeah, just spray in tongues. Sorry. Yeah, just just spray in tongues for a moment. <laughs> Come on. There's no music playing. <laughs> just, just open your heart to the Lord. Say, God, here am I. Lord, here am I. Lord, I've been in that place of rejection, and I'm going to move out from it today. I've been in rejection. I've been in limitation. I've been in manipulation. I don't want to be there. I'm going to take my stand. I'm going to move out. Some of you just need to move on. It's another step. I've got to step out. Thank you, Lord. Uh, some of you are thinking, well, I have an excuse. I'm going to read this list before we go, but Noah was a drunk. He got drunk. And God used him. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. <laughs> Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were way too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran away from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied he ever even knew Christ. The disciples fell asleep instead of praying. Martha was worried about everything. Mary Magdalene, well, you know what she did. The, Samantha, the Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Timothy had an ulcer. Lazarus was dead. What's your excuse? Father, thank you for today. Lord, I ask there be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not an ounce of condemnation in this place. But God, I do ask that we would be provoked. Lord, we provoke whatever step and stage we're at in life. That we would recognize that on that step, there's a master work that you want to do in us. There's a training that takes place. That Lord, you, you, you take these things. You, take our, you, you turn setbacks into setups. That even when David thought, I'm just being overheard, that was the access point. It was the back door to the throne room. And so, Lord, I ask that for each one of us today, even this week, we will continue to be stirred. And as we continue on this journey with you, that, God, that you would use us powerfully. That you continue to pour out your spirit in this church. The Holy Spirit, you continue to show up. That you continue to love on us and shape us. That you continue to equip us, God.
Lord, that I, Lord, I ask for silliness, that silliness would go, that immaturity would go. Lord, that we would put things right. If we've done wrong, we'd repent. If we've been wrong, we'd forgive. That if we've done wrong, we'd repent. If we didn't been wrong, we'd forgive. And that we would move up, that we would move on from steps to steps to a place of validation where we can take off heads of the enemy. We can destroy the works of the enemy. We can crush the head of the enemy. And Lord, continue to take ground that you've given us, that you've called us to take God, that we would not shrink back in this hour, but God, we we would be your army that is taking ground of which you're the head in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Love you, church. Come on, say hi.